Let's go. Welcome. Oh, you know what? He's even excited. I'm the only hype person here tonight. All right. That's fine. That's good with me. I can work. I can work off my own energy. That's fine. Hello. There, there, Jacob. Thank you. Ah, uh, what up? I'm glad you're here, even though you're not excited to be here. I'm glad you're here. And, and really, we're continuing in this bridge to becoming theme or uh, what am I? Series. And I get to do part three. You know, I get to continue in what Ben has started. And, and to be honest, if you haven't been following along, this is your first week or you, you, you missed the last two weeks, you got to go hit him on YouTube or the podcast. Ben has got him on there and he has crushed the last two weeks. He talked about lust, which you probably, maybe you're shy of, but you should go listen to it. And then he talked about laziness. So if lust didn't get you laziness, sure will. Uh, but you should go listen to those. And then I got, I got week three. And I don't know if it was Ben not wanting this one or what it was, but no, I'm just playing. He let me pick. And there were seven and I picked this one. So if you don't like it, tough. I picked it. And and we're going to continue to go through this series. And I'm not switching much up. We're talking about how a virtue can become a virtue through the means of grace that starts as a vice. So these these things that we struggle with, and like I said, lust and laziness, and tonight I'm going to do anger. But before we get there, I have to ask you a question. And this question is not rhetorical, so I'm going to ask you to participate. And you have a bad track record tonight, so please participate. Who in here lives with or has lived with roommates? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. That is the church working together to answer the pastor's question. You, like me, most of you, have lived with roommates. And you know living with roommates is awesome. Like, for... 90 something percent of the time, right? Like I had the opportunity last year or two years ago, I was married last year, but two years, I guess she's my roommate, but a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to live with a couple guys in this apartment. There was five of us. We really were only supposed to have four, but we squeaked five in there and cut the rent down. You guys know, I know, I know who I'm preaching to. And uh, we were all living in there and we did all the roommate things, you know, like we watched movies, we played video games, we did a ton of stuff that's embarrassing I won't tell you about but we lived together the five of us and we were roommates and for most of that time I loved it you know it was awesome to be able to live with your friends but then there's that like two percent that was what it's for me maybe for you it's like 50 but for me it was like two percent of the time I was like I might kill you <laughs> why did you do that why do you act like that why do you not think like me why I don't understand how you function as a human. Like these are the two th- percent of the time, and it was like a deep, long two percent. Like I could have stretched three, but I'll say two. I did not understand about these people. And here's just like the worst of it. This is where I it always got me. Dishes, man. I would do the dishes, and I would leave. For I, I kid you not. I think it was like one class, fifty minutes, and I'm back, and the sink is full of dishes. It's like. I'm I'm angry and I'm just thinking about it. So for you out there, I don't know what your percentage is, but during that two to 50%, how, how angry do you get? Do you get frustrated? Do you have outbursts? What's your anger level when your roommates do that thing? And like I said, I don't live with roommates anymore. I live with my wife. And she does a little bit better. I'll give her like one and a half percent. No, I'm just playing. I'll do the dishes or something later and make it up to you. But how do you, how do you respond in anger? What happens to you in those circumstances? In those scenarios where you start to get frustrated or they did that thing 
again. But anger is different. It's not like the other vices we've studied or we will study. Lust and laziness, there's nothing good about them. You cannot give me a scenario where lust fits in there and it will glorify God. Neither it with laziness. And that's why we encouraged you to move past lust to love, to find purity. We encouraged you to move past laziness and find courage and be diligent. But anger is different. It's not like those other ones. Anger can be a vice or it can be a virtue. Exodus 32 is God coming to the people of Israel and he's ticked. He is so mad because they have done it again. They have disappointed God, been disobedient to God, not done what he has asked of them. And he's mad and he is justified in that anger. We would call that a virtue when he practices anger. Matthew 21, Jesus enters into the temple courtyards, into the house of God, and he sees it as a den of robbers. People all over this place, selling things, taking advantage of others, not loving the temple, not loving God's people, and he's ticked. He starts flipping the tables as he's literally flipping out. Jesus is so hot. He is so salty in this moment. And it's a virtue. He's justified in that. That's how he should act in that scenario. Because anger is a virtue when it's correctly combined with justice. Anger is a virtue when it's correctly combined with justice, but here's the bad news. You and I, we don't do this so hot. We're not too good at getting the balance right and figuring out the situations or responding in the correct manner. Because Jesus, he did it really well. God did it really well. You and I, we haven't figured it out yet. And I wanted to preach this message. I did. I thought it would be fantastic. I'd come in here and I'd tell you how you can all reorient yourselves around justice and your anger becomes patience and it would work out perfectly. And as I prayed and as I studied, God had something different planned. So tonight we won't look at anger as a virtue, but rather strictly stick to anger as a vice. We all struggle with anger. And when I say something like that, usually I get two groups of people who have reactions. The first group will tell me, Brennan, you don't, you don't really know me, and like, I'm all about peace and love, and I don't struggle with anger. I'm a, I'm a chill person. And to that I would respond, you're probably half right. Because anger has ramifications. And those ramifications show up in our lives in different ways. Again, I studied for this. I read article after article on the different types of anger, how anger shows up in our daily lives. And as I read, I didn't read hundreds of articles, come on now. Uh, as I saw hundreds of articles, I saw thousands of words that said, this is how anger can play out in people's lives. And I could have filled whole pages and explained to you the different ways, but instead I put them in two categories. The first group of people, they struggle with anger in an aggressive manner. <laughs> they're probably like, ah, I won't say it, but <laughs> they're in an aggressive manner. They have outbursts. You, it's the person who, when you walked in or when you heard they were talking about anger, you like looked at them or you thought of them and they're like, yep, that person's got an anger problem. And, and 
it shows up really tangibly, right? Like we can see it in an outburst, whether they're vocal or physical. Like they hit a, they like punch something, hopefully not a person, or they like start screaming. And this person is aggressively mad. And that's where when you answer that question, I think some of us get a stereotype of what anger can look like. And I say, y'all are angry. And you say, no, Brennan, I don't have outbursts like that. I've learned to deal with my anger. Well, category two. The category of the second group of people is what I would call passive anger. In this group of passively angry people, they might not have the outburst that the other angry people have, but what's inside of them is just as broken. Because under the surface, there lives this level of discontentment and frustration and annoyance, and all of that plays into avoidance. Has, any, has anybody ever done this? Where that person, that you just can't be around them because they're so annoying, so you just start to avoid? Or that thing gets so frustrating that it's just like, I can't do that anymore, and I'm going to avoid that. And we start to see anger play out, not in outward, but inward. And some of us, it's even deeper than that. Because that inward anger isn't even directed to the outside world. It's directed at ourselves. In a self-hatred, self-loathing, self-anger, where that you, you thought that thought again. You did that thing again. And nobody knows it, but inside you're torn up with anger. So I look to you guys, and I look at myself, and I say, we all struggle with anger. And I don't know what your circumstances are. And I don't know what your reaction is. But we struggle with it. So let's get right with it. The second group of people would have responded to my statement saying, we all struggle with anger, and you would have said, all right, you got me. Uh, I'm an angry person, you know, and I, it could have been in either of the two categories, but you would have at least been honest. And you would have been like, I do struggle with anger, Brennan, all right, I'll, I'll deal with it. And then you maybe would have followed it up with like, but if you lived with my roommates, I think you'd be ticked too. If you knew my parents, if you knew my friends, if you had my class schedule, if you had my boss, you'd be mad too. And to that I would say, you're probably half right. You're half right because you've got some of it, but you've misdiagnosed where your anger is coming from. We want to point to everything else and say that's the problem without looking to ourselves and recognizing this might be something wrong with me. It might not be every single one of my scenarios, but maybe, and I want to tell you it is, anger is rooted in your heart. When you're driving, and that person cuts you off because clearly they have no idea how to drive, and you just start pounding the wheel, or you give them that happy finger. Church, don't give them the, don't give them the finger. Come on. But you're driving, and that person didn't use their blinker again, and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. And then you got home. Person cut you off. You got home, and you're, the dishes again? You've got to be kidding me. And then you go on, and you get off the phone, and that person said that thing to you again. And you ran into that person in your class who was annoying again. And these things will come. They'll always come. I can promise you that. So why don't we fix it? Why do we stop looking out there and start looking in here at what may be wrong? And I want to prove it to you that anger comes from within. 
And to do that, I have a couple of scriptures. And the first one is this, Mark 7. Jesus is confronting this group of teachers, and he starts in verse 20 to say, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, which some would call anger, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All of these come from inside a person and defile them. I'll give it to you again. James 4.1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? James is saying, why are you angry? Don't they come from desires that come from within you? One more, just the cherry on top. Matthew 9, 3 through 4. Jesus has just forgiven and then healed a paralyzed man. And the teachers of the law see it and they say to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, which is like bonkers, Jesus could read their minds. But why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Do you see what over and over and over again, scripture, the word of God is telling us about this problem we have? It's not out there. It's in here. We've got something going on in here. It wasn't their circumstances, but rather it was their heart. And speaking of hearts, I've got a heart of my own up here. So this is what we would call a non-anatomically correct heart or a sponge. And this sponge has been soaking up the daily things of life, just like many of you would go about your daily life. And as you continue through your daily life, you come upon these circumstances. Person cuts you off. Roommates didn't do the dishes. Professor gave you a bad grade. Boss asked you to come in early. And over and over and over again, anger, anger, anger. We're mad. We're ticked off. Things are happening. But that's not the situation's fault. That's something inside of us that just continues to flow out. Because the reality is, it's just what's inside of you that's getting squeezed out in these moments of frustration. And I want you to recognize the root. I've spent nearly 10 minutes here talking to you about where this idea of anger comes from. And the reason I need you to recognize this is because if you don't get that the the root of the problem is in your heart, you'll continue to wrongly diagnose what the issue is. Last March, I got back from the mission trip and I started having like <laughs> this weird chest pain. And I'm, I'm a young dude. So it's like chest pain, probably not cool. Not, not, not probably a good thing. And I went like four to five weeks with it without saying anything. Just, I don't know. Okay. You probably are thinking just like my wife. Why didn't you go to the doctor? Well, I did. After five weeks, I went to the doctor with this chest pain. And uh, I, went, I went there and I paid him the dollars to tell me what was wrong, you know, and They did all the tests, like way too intrusive, but he wanted to figure it out. So x-rays, blood work, the cold thing on your back, whatever, I don't know what that's called. Stethoscope? I thought I heard someone. Yeah, he did that. And he's listening to my lungs. And at the end, he he said, Brennan, I don't know what's wrong. I'm like, oh, come on. I've been here for like an hour. You can't tell me what's wrong. And he didn't know what was wrong. But I had like a little bit of a cough. So he's like, we'll try bronchitis. I was like, fine. All right, I'll, I'll take your medicine. So he sends me home and I take this whole pack. I think they called it like a Z-pack or something. And I take all the pills every day. I'm a good patient. So I did what I needed to do. And at the end of the week, gone, right? No, it was not gone. I was upset and I was angry. So I I scheduled an e-visit because I was like, I'm not driving down to Sioux Falls to see you again. 
So I get on the computer and I'm FaceTiming this doc and he's like, you know what? I think we just didn't hit it hard enough. I'm going to give you another Z-Pack. It's going to be a stronger steroid. I'm like, fine, whatever. I'll take your pills. So he sent them to me and I take two weeks worth of pills. And I'm like eight weeks deep in this thing. And my chest is just like all kinds of uncomfortable. And as I take this second set of pills each day, one pill in the morning, one pill at night, my chest didn't get better. It got worse. It started to get tighter. It started to hurt a little bit more. And I started to get frustrated and angry. And this was when I wasn't a good patient. I gave up on the doctor. (laughs) It's like, I'll figure this out myself. And in the end, I did. During the months of March, in the months of March into April, and even a little bit past that, I struggled with some anxiety stuff. Never before in my life had I ever had anxiety to this bad, but I don't know if it was the pandemic or some, some things that were happening in my life at the time, but I was really struggling with anxiety. And my chest got tight, and sometimes it felt hard to breathe, and it was uncomfortable, and I'd wake up and it hurt, and I went to bed and it hurt, and I didn't understand. So I went to this doctor, and the doctor gave me these pills. And that second set of pills, one of the side effects of that was increased stress, anxiety, and worry. Because he didn't know what the problem was, and he tried to treat it the best he could, but he made me worse, not better. And I think this is what the world wants to do. Because with the wrong diagnosis, we'll keep trying to treat the problem with wrong solutions. And the world does this with anger. I believe in medicine, so I wanted to give you that, this, this article from Mayo. And Mayo Clinic came out with all of these ways you could deal with your anger. And they gave us 10 points. Maybe you've tried some, maybe you've heard of it. They said, think before you speak. Once you calm, then express your anger. Get some exercise, take a time out, stick with I statements. Avoid holding grudges, use humor, relaxation skills, try breathing or meditation. And finally, identify possible solutions for your anger. Thank you, Mayo, that did not help at all. But maybe some of the first nine helped. And maybe for you, there are things you've tried. But to me, this is just a Band-Aid. It's just something that's going to cover up your anger for a little period of time because you haven't dealt with the root. It's a misdiagnosis of what the real problem is. Hebrews 12, 15 will say it like this. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter or angry root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Because here's the tricky thing about roots. If you didn't know, roots grow. If you don't deal with the root of the issue, it doesn't just go away. If you cover it with a Band-Aid, breathing techniques, meditation skills, identifying the problem. The root under the surface, that thing in your heart, it's just going to continue to grow. And the reality is, God's not cool with our anger. He's not okay with it. By no means when we flare up in those ways or we subversively, passively exert anger, is God cool with it? Even more so, Jesus in Matthew 5 in two verses will say this. He said, you have heard it say to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But truly I I tell you this, that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And he's speaking to this audience, saying the Old Testament, those people, God's followers, the bar was here. 
pretty low. Don't murder. Jesus just came and raised the bar to up here. He said, not only are you not allowed to murder, but you are not allowed to be angry at your brother and sisters. You are not allowed to harbor that in your heart. And he says, if you do, you'll be subject to judgment. You may even be in danger of the fire of hell. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. And he gives us this way to move past it. Because that's just like God, isn't it? To give you the problem, but not just leave you there, but to give you the solution. And he wants us to be able to fix our anger, but it's not necessarily in the way many of us have probably tried. To fix your anger, we need a heart change. I didn't misspeak there. We don't need a change of heart. We need a heart change. You and I, we're not going to tweak or shift our way into heaven. We're not going to deal with the issue of anger just by these small tweaks. We desperately need our hearts on the inside to radically be transformed by God. But guess what? That's what God does. And he does it through this idea of forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, and then 31 through 32 is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. And he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Instead, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Do you see it? Paul just gave us the antidote, the cure to the problem inside of us. We no longer have to wonder. We don't have to strive or try to tweak and fix these things, but we can recognize that forgiveness is the means of grace that will move us from anger. Forgiveness is the cure. Forgiveness is the antidote that heals what's broken inside of us. And to understand this, we must learn the forgiveness of Christ. And I know most of you will probably respond of, I know, Brennan, I've gone to church. I could probably even tell you the gospel. I could tell you Jesus died for me. I could tell you all of these things, but I'm not asking you to necessarily just tell it to me. I don't want you to just say it. I want you to believe it. This isn't just a surface level knowledge, people. This is an an incredibly enchanting, mystifying, deep-rooted knowledge of the forgiveness of Christ, where every single day you wake up and you thank God for what he's done for you, where in moments of frustration and anger and hurt, how can you turn to the cross? Because that's your only hope. That's what I'm talking about. That's the level of forgiveness we must understand as followers of Jesus. Because remember, it's not a mind issue. It's a heart issue. And how we get from the mind to the heart is the cross. We don't get there intellectually by necessarily studying. We get there by looking at what Jesus has done for us. Your heart should break and burst and explode with joy when you look at the cross and what Jesus has done for you in forgiveness. And in Ezekiel 36, 26, God speaks to the prophet and he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That is a promise of God that you can cling to. And it's not a promise necessarily given to the Old Testament people, but a promise that on this side of the cross, 
you have access to. He doesn't want you stuck in your heart of brokenness and anger. He wants you to have a new heart, a new spirit, one cleansed and empowered by him. And the beauty of a new heart is it gives us a new way. Like I've been saying, you can't tweak your way out of the vice of anger. We are too deep, too stuck, too entangled in this mess we call life with anger to be able to just tweak our way out of it. We need the work of the cross. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. We have to start recognizing what Jesus has done for us, not just tonight, but every day. And in those moments, then you can start to heal. Because it's still going to come, people. Your roommates are still going to be your roommates. Your family is still going to be your family. That drivers, the bad drivers, they're still going to be the bad drivers, unfortunately. But how do we fix it? How do we change it? How as the people of God do we live different? And I want to tell you that it's through the vice of anger, the means of forgiveness, that is the means of grace that is forgiveness, that'll lead us to the virtue of patience. And they have a picture of that if you're a visual learner. And as we see what God has done for us, it'll lead us to change how we respond to others. And forgiveness can kind of be defined like this. And it's not feeling angry towards someone for something they've done. And I'll give you an example. God and us. If you believe in Jesus, confess that he's Messiah, that he's your Lord of your life, God has forgiven you of your sin. That means he is no longer angry at you for what you've done in the past, what you've done in the present, and what you will do in the future. He accepts the work of Jesus in your place. That's just how it works with forgiveness. And patience, the definition you could use for that is it's the capacity to accept something without getting angry. So now think of this. You have this situation. You fill in the blank of what it is. This situation that wants to squeeze out of you anger. It wants to elicit something out of you that will not glorify God. In forgiveness... We get to move past that, skipping over the step of anger, right into forgiveness, into the virtue of patience. It's like we have the cheat code. As forgiven people, we get to skip anger and go straight to patience. That when that thing comes up yet again, you don't have to respond in anger. And I pray your heart would lead you to respond a different way. That it would lead you to respond with patience. So now I have my second anatomically correct heart. Incorrect, but close enough. And this heart, every day, living life, normal stuff, and the person cuts you off. And you get home, and the dishes aren't done, and the shoes are everywhere, and they left that thing out again. And the professor gave you a bad grade, and your boss told you you need to come in early. And your family called, and your mom said that thing again. Every single time life circumstances want to hit you, what gets squeezed out of you is now different. It's different because you have a new heart. The cross sits in between how you get from there to here. There is no way to get from this heart, which is filled with anger and bitterness. There's no way to remove the root except passing through the cross and getting to what God has called us to, to be forgiven people who can forgive people. When I see the forgiveness of Jesus, 
I can't help but live changed. But I think some of us in the room also need to hear this. That what's happened to you is real. The things you've experienced, the hardship, I can't deny that. I would be out of bounds and completely wrong to stand up here and tell you that your life experience is not what you feel it is. The emotions that are elicited in you, the hurt and the pain you felt, those are real. And right now, if you think of somebody or that person where you're angry every single time you think of them, anytime their, their face or their name comes up, anytime that situation comes up and you are angry, I'm telling you, it's not necessarily that you have to figure it out right now. It's okay to not be okay for a little bit or a season, especially if it's justified. It's okay to not get it perfect right away. But I beg you, don't stay there. That's not where God wants you. He doesn't want you stuck in the hurt, in the bitterness, in the anger that you feel towards that person. He's paid for it on the cross, not only for you, but for them. For us to be forgiven people that forgive people. For us to be able to step into the wholeness of healing and the life God has for us. And I know it's hard. I do, I promise you, I do. I know it's hard. But I also know it's possible. And I know it's possible because I've seen the work of Jesus. Jesus is having the Last Supper where he sits down with a meal with those who had followed him for three years. And as he sits at that table, he washes their feet, he feeds them this meal, and then he tells them this terrible news that someone sitting at that very table will betray him. And as you read that, the room erupts. You can just see how angry they are as they start to argue and bicker over who could possibly betray the person they've been following for so long. Where's Jesus? He's just sitting there. He's just continuing. He's being patient. And that same person who will betray him comes and finds Jesus as he's praying in the garden. And as he's praying there, earnestly asking his, seeking his father's faith, this betrayer comes up and he has Jesus arrested. And when Jesus is arrested again, the scene breaks out. One of his disciples actually pulls out a sword and cuts off a dude's ear. Like, it's just crazy. It's like this battle scene that probably just erupts on. Where's Jesus? He's just there, just patient. He heals the man and he goes with those who have betrayed him. And they take Jesus and they lock him away and they ask him question after question after question and they throw false accusations at him over and over again. They say things about him that are not true. And Jesus just takes it. Sometimes he's so calm and so patient, he doesn't even respond to their accusations. And they drag him away. And they beat him and they mock him and they insult him over and over again. They put the crown on him and they hit him with whips. And Jesus, he just persists. He just keeps going. He carries the cross. And that very cross, they crucify him to. And they pin him to that. And they strip him naked. And they mock him and insult him. And Jesus, you know what Jesus does? He forgives them. 
Luke 23, 24. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's our Messiah. That's our Lord. That's who we get to follow. That the man pinned to the cross knew a level of connection with God, that he had the spirit in the heart that's promised to us, where he can be in the, in the face of the worst opposition, and he can say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And tonight I ask you, Oasis, will we be people that can respond, Father, forgive them? Because that's a patient posture. Where when that situation happens, yet again, big or small, can we respond, Father, forgive them? They don't know what they were doing. They didn't mean it. I can be patient. Tonight I ask you just to continue to follow in the example of Christ. Continue to submit to forgiveness and recognize what Jesus has done for you. And let your anger fall away. Let him lead you through forgiveness to patience. Pray with me. Father, I thank you tonight that we've had this opportunity to open up your word as a community and study it together. And that any time your word is opened up and your word is preached, we, we believe that your spirit is moving and it's working in people's lives. So Father, pour your spirit out on your, on your children to help us recognize that you have, you have done it all. You have, in Jesus, completed every task you'll ever ask of us, faced every temptation, and you've come out the other side victorious. Not even death could stop you, God. So now we sit here and we open up your word and we see what you've spoken to us and I ask that we would leave changed. That even in these moments right now, we would recognize what it looks like for us to be forgiven people. That maybe we've been coming to church year after year, Sunday after Sunday, but it's never through the work of the cross, through your grace alone, moved from our head to our heart. We haven't let the truth of forgiveness, God, transform the way we live. So I pray that you would just do what we have not been able to do ourselves. That you would come and you would make that so real to us. That our hearts would be changed. That we would recognize your forgiveness and live as patient people. Praying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive us as we are those who have wronged and we have broken your heart, but you've paid the price. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Tonight, <clears throat> we used to do this all the time, but we haven't as much lately. But I want to provide you this opportunity right now to just take a minute or two and reflect on what this looks like for you. Because I never want us to come here and just absorb knowledge I want it to impact our lives. James has called us not just to be hearers of the words, but doers of the words. So tonight, as you pray, maybe it looks like you reaching out and forgiving someone who you've been holding bitterness and anger against for a really long time. Not because they necessarily deserve it, but because that's what God asks of you. I don't want you stuck in that bitterness any longer. Let the, let the weight go. Let Jesus carry that. He already has. Maybe that for you is you need to ask for forgiveness. And you can do that in prayer and then I ask you, do it in person. 
Connect with those that you've hurt, that you've wronged. And ask, ask for forgiveness. Because that can let us live lives of patience, removing anger from the equation. And then finally, tonight if you've never understood this idea of forgiveness of Jesus, I pray in this moment you would. That in the silence of your own head, with nobody else knowing what's going on in there, would you just come to God and ask him that you would receive the forgiveness he's offering you in Jesus? Don't leave this place not doing that. And if that's you, I'd love to connect with you. We'll we'll have people out in the foyer at the info desk and different things. And if you'd be willing, come talk to us. We want to praise with you. We want to show you what it looks like to continue to follow Jesus. Because that's not the end, it's the beginning. All right, go ahead and take that moment just to to reflect on what's been done for you.